A reading from the prophet Isaiah. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be so to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruits and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Oh God, what a mystery it is that you speak to us, that you speak to us as we hear from your scriptures, and you speak to us through the preaching of your scriptures, and so we ask that you would meet us, that we might not just hear, but that we might understand, that we might become a different people, people that bear fruit, that tastes good for the world. Meet us, we pray, now. Amen. So this past Friday, Mary and I were out running errands around the neighborhood. She was driving, and I was actively navigating. 
You may be thinking, Jonathan, you've lived in this neighborhood for four years. Why are you actively navigating? Well, it's not because I'm not a person who knows where things are, but it's because I'm a person who must get to my destination in the quickest way possible. And that's what's great about living on a grid, right? You have uh, 13 different ways that you can get from Malcolm X Park to Honest Tom's. And so we were heading uh, down 51st, and we cut off on Locust. And as we're coming down Locust, we're crossing over 49th Street. And there's this mural. Have you seen the mural at 49th and Locust? I know I have been by it many times, and I know I have even seen it. But this time, I saw it. It's this really neat mural of, like, the animal kingdom. Right? It's got these two trees with these exotic birds on them. And then it's, uh, and the contrast between the green grass and the, and the blue sky, it's subtle, but it, it just, it kind of grabs you. And then on the grass, you have the animals uh, that inhabit the ground. Um, and most of these animals are not even native to the U.S. And then you've got this uh, river that cuts through the mural, full of the fishes of the sea. It's a really beautiful mural, 49th and Locust. This summer, and my profound apologies to those of you who are still in school, but according to our preaching calendar, it is summer. This summer, we are going to be looking at the parables that Jesus told. Parables are the murals of the Bible. Murals are meant to capture your attention, not just once, but every time you happen to be passing by them. And each time you pick up something new. Murals tell the story of a place. They tell the story of the people that are in that place. And while they become the backdrop of our city landscape, they're dynamic. They're large. They draw you in. They draw you in in such a way that you consider your place and even how you inhabit your place differently. Parables are a regular part of the biblical landscape. But they sit in the story of scripture as their own stories. These own little stories, but they're larger than life. They entertain, they draw you in. And the parables can be funky, right? Some of them are just one-liners, comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Or comparing the kingdom of God to someone who buys up a field through some shady real estate practices. Others are more stories. They're a little bit longer, right? They've got some development. And they're told through dissonant characters, because right, sometimes the truth can be best told through the oddballs. Right? You, have a, you have a story that we'll look at where Jesus is talking about how we should pray. And he gives us a story about a guy who just relents, or is just really trying to get rid of his annoying neighbor. Parables were the most frequently used by Jesus. The most, I should say, the most frequent means that Jesus, is used, that Jesus uses to explain the kingdom of God, to explain God's character, what he's like, and to explain what it means for us to be human inside of this world. What they do is tell the truth at a slant. And that's what we're calling this summer series, is tell it slant. We didn't come up with that. Emily Dickinson did. She was a 19th century poet, an oddball in her own right. She was known for always wearing white. Um, and she was a bit of a recluse for much of her life. And sadly, much of her work didn't really get noticed until after her death. 
But she said this in one of her poems. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success and circuit lies too bright for our infirm delight. The truth's superb surprise as lightning to the children eased with explanation kind. The truth must dazzle, dazzle gradually or every man blind. Parables tell the truth at a slant. It's gradual. You sit with them. You return to them over and over again. You stop and you observe. They are told in such a way that requires you to let down your defenses. And on the one hand, this can be extremely frustrating. Come to a parable and you're just like, get to the point. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me about God. Tell me about what I should do and what it looks like to live faithfully. Give me a statement. But the parables don't do that. And this is good news because this is the stuff of our life. We live in the slant. We live in the back and forth of conversations that takes time to develop relationships. We live in the inefficiency of life where we're always 10 to 15 minutes late wherever we're going. And then your neighbor stops you, uh, stops you and wants to talk about the trash cans. The inefficiencies of life. And parables highlight the inefficiency of God. Jesus chooses teaching that fits his father way, father's way of forbearance, his priority of relationship. We often want just the answers to the test. But Jesus gives us a story. A story that draws us in, that's personal, that actually becomes this personal encounter that changes us, that shapes us in holistic ways, what we do with our bodies, what we do with our minds, what we do with our monies, what we do with our time, and so on. It's holistic. After all, truth has showed up in our world as a person. So, with all that said, let's look at the first parable of the summer, the parable of the sower. Jesus tells this uh, parable to a massive crowd, such a great crowd. Now, who's in this crowd, right? It's some of those who have embraced Jesus, the disciples, those who have followed him around as he's doing ministry and teaching about the kingdom of God. Then there's those who have embraced him but are confused, right? His mother and his brothers are there. Who is this brother? There's those that are utterly skeptical, right? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. It's interesting that those are the ones that are most skeptical of Jesus, the religious people. And then there are those who come to Jesus out of just sheer need. Matthew records in the previous chapters leading up to this parable, those that have come to Jesus, a blind and a, a mute man that's come for healing. A man who has a withered hand, a birth defect, and comes to Jesus. Then you have a whole gang that shows up wanting healing. This is the crowd that Jesus is speaking to with this parable. Now, he didn't have a Josh Stamper running sound for him. So, right, he got in the boat and he pushed off so that his voice could be amplified by the waves. Crowds on the shore created this natural amphitheater. So maybe next Sunday we can go down the shore. I'll preach from a boat. You guys can play in the sand. How's that sound? And Jesus tells them this story of a man, of a sower, who goes out to sow seed and the varying results that occur. If you've spent much time around the church, 
being a part of the, uh, any kind of church community, you maybe have heard this parable. It's one of the more familiar ones. Maybe not as familiar as the prodigal son, but it trends in the more popular direction. And it's because this parable gets a lot of airtime. It takes up a lot of verses. All of the gospel writers, or the synoptic gospel writers, I should say, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this story. And they do it because it's, it's, this parable is meta. Right? It's, the, it's, it's like 30 Rock, the TV show about producing a TV show. This is the parable about parables. And we even get Jesus' own interpretation of it. This is a parable about listening to the words that Jesus speaks, the words about the kingdom, and whether we take them to heart, whether they actually sink in. And this is the first thing that I want us to see about this parable. And really, this is maybe one of the most basic things that we can say as Christians. It's this, that God speaks, that he's not silent, that he hasn't left his creatures in the dark about who he is, that he has ultimately spoken in Jesus, saying, this is who I am, this is what I am like. Jesus is the embodiment of God's speech in our world. And this is the seed that is scattered all over, over every place. The seed that is actually bearing fruit in our world. And we can often be quite anxious of whether or not the kingdom is advancing or if it's doing anything. But Jesus seems quite non-anxious, if you will, about the kingdom's ability and we're going to actually look at parables of why sometimes the kingdom isn't looking like quite what we think. We'll do that in the next couple of weeks. But this parable, the action, is in the soil. It's where the tension lies. So let's look at that, the soils. There's two levels of drama in this parable, right? The, whether or not the seed will actually take root inside the story itself. And then there's the level of drama that's happening with the audience and Jesus. And he's telling and setting up this story with this very obvious gap, right? The gap between hearing and understanding. The gap between the seed being sown and between it actually bearing fruit. The gap between hearing the kingdom of God and actually understanding it. And we know this gap between hearing and understanding. Because we live in it. I can say that again. Right? It's wondering if your kids actually are hearing the words that you say to them. Praying that they will live into a life of wisdom. Or it is wondering if anybody actually understands you. The words that you speak. Is anyone actually listening to me? Do I add much to the conversation? Are my, do my colleagues actually care about my perspective? And you can tell when someone's not listening to you, right? It's not because you're not loud enough, but it's because their mind is elsewhere. Right? If your mind is not present, you are not really in the conversation. Do any of you struggle with this? The same goes for us, I should say this, And this is what Jesus is getting at. Where your mind is determines your ability to be present. 
Where your mind is has everything to do with your ability to hear and understand. And the same goes for us spiritually speaking. Where our heart is determines our ability to hear God. The question for us that this parable invites us into to ask is, where is your heart? What is the condition of your heart? That's a really abstract question. So I'm going to get concrete with this. Let's go back to who's in this crowd. Right? Jesus is describing reactions to him. Reactions that have already taken place and that will take place. Right? There are some who have seen Jesus, seen what he's done, heard him speak about the kingdom, and nothing. They want nothing to do with him. And it's interesting, they're still around him. Then there are some who have received Jesus. But once persecution comes, they deny him. This is the story of the disciples, right? Leaving Jesus an hour of his greatest need. And then there are some who receive Jesus, but wealth takes up more space in their desires. Think of the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and leaves disappointed. These are the reactions to Jesus and who he is. And these continue to be the reactions to him. This question of where is your heart, it's the diagnostic question that this parable gives us. So I'm wondering, what, what's the diagnostic question or what criteria do you use to diagnose, self-diagnose your fruitfulness or what you have to offer the world? What is that criteria that you use to ask yourself that question? Is it your success? Is it your productivity? Is it your wealth? Is it your calendar, how busy you are? That means I'm fruitful. Is it how much you are needed by others? And where does Jesus fit into that? Are you actually letting him rearrange your life from the center? Are you actually present to his words? And what would it take for you to become more present to him? It's interesting. Jesus gives these three uh, scenarios of fruitfulness, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. And he gives these three situations of not fruitfulness. As if to say that those who persevere in the midst, those who hold on to Jesus even in the midst of the evil one or trouble and suffering, those who experience some level of success, wealth, and yet they still, it seems like their life is more about Jesus. Those may be the people that are bearing fruit in our midst. If you want to know what it means to embrace Jesus, get around those people. See what they do. These are the people that take Jesus at his word when he says, come to me all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The parable leaves us with this cliffhanger of what are you going to do about it? Let anyone who has ears listen, which tells us that these conditions are not determinative. Like, it's not like Jesus is saying, hey, you, you're the path. You, you're the rocky soil. I'm not pointing at anybody, I promise. 
but by the very fact that Jesus is saying, listen, he's wanting us to move. He's wanting us to move to a place of bearing fruit. Now, how do we do this? Because this parable doesn't give us much in the details. I mean, after all, we're dirt. How do we continue to embrace Jesus through life's trials, turns, and troubles? How do we embrace Jesus, maybe if it's just for the first time? I want us to close and finish up by noting that while the thrust of this parable is about the soil, Jesus titles this, which we don't get too many titles in the, in the, in the Gospels about the parables, but Jesus, Jesus titles, titles this the parable of the sower. In the end, this parable is not about the dirt, it's about the sower. Has anyone seen the movie A Quiet Place? Still out in theaters, worry not, I will not ruin anything for you, if you hope to see that. I will not tell you more than what you can find on the internet. But this is uh, John Krasinski's movie that he's written and directed. We know John as Jim from The Office, that helps. And his wife is in it as well. His wife in real life is his wife in the movie, Emily Blunt, as well. And there are like six human actors in this film. Because it's a film that takes place in a post-apocalyptic world that has been taken over by these creatures, monsters, if you will, who are exceptionally sensitive to any sound. Any noise, they come and they kill. And the movie centers around this one family. And it's very obvious from the start why this family has survived. It's because one of their daughters is deaf. And so this family has a new sign language. And so they've been able to still communicate with, themselves, uh, with, with one another. And they live on this old, uh, this old farm, in this old farmhouse. Throughout the property, they, they've created these paths of sand. So that literally, they're not even making noises as they walk around over on the leaves or the sticks. In their house, they have the spots on the floorboards that don't creak, painted, so that they can step and walk through their house. It's an extremely intense movie, and a, and a jumpy movie as well. So if you're not one for jumpy, maybe don't go see it. Though I am not one, and so I just went and saw it during the daytime. But, um, uh, one of the refrains throughout this movie is listen. It's the most audible that the parents get, even as they sign and sort of are mouthing and whispering these words, listen. Listen so that you will pay attention. Listen so that in the midst of the chaos and the fear, you'll have courage. This is the parents to the kids. And this movie is about the kids and how they respond to fear and the links that the parents go to to protect them and how they take on the monsters. The one who says listen in this parable is the one who has spent his entire life being present to you. The one who says, listen, from the boat is the one who shows up to the disciples after his resurrection when the disciples are the most fearful. He says, peace. In Jesus Christ, God has become utterly and infinitely present to us. He knows our fears. He knows our wandering hearts. He knows and understands us. 
And he knows because he listens. The sower is also the one who gets down and removes the rocks, who removes the thorns. The one who takes on to himself everything that gets in the way of us bearing fruit. Will you hear the one who says, listen? Will you cry out to the one who says, listen? Will you hear this summer? Will you listen to these stories, these stories that reveal reveal the coming of God's kingdom, his grace, his righteous judgment? May God give us the ears to hear and the hearts to know his presence. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you are so unlike we often imagine you to be. You do not grow tired of us. You do not grow weary of listening to our fears, our cries, And you have not only heard us, but you have done something about it. And so we are grateful for the gift of Jesus, our Savior, for the gift of his life given for us so that we might actually be people that are fruitful. What a mystery it is. We pray that you would help us to know that, to reflect on that as we go in our weeks and as we continue in our worship service. We thank you that you are kind to us and generous. Amen.